Hey there, I'm Angelica Bell and this is Rewirement, where we're sharing inspirational stories and ideas to help you achieve the retirement you want. We're all individuals with our own passions, plans and dreams, and that doesn't change in later life. That's why I'm chatting to the experts for smart financial and practical steps to make your vision a reality. Time and time again, the colourful retirees we meet tell us how important their friendships, relationships and social networks are for an enjoyable retirement. And that's something we'll hear more about today as we hear from two LGBT plus retirees on how they made the switch from their working life to a happy and fulfilled later life. But this isn't the case for every LGBTQ plus person in the UK. If you're worried about how you might make the move, you're not alone. Issues such as isolation, loneliness and discrimination can be a cause of concern if you don't fit the heterosexual image of retirement. But today we're playing our part in this conversation so we can support one another and feel supported ourselves, whatever our vision for later life. I'll be joined by Legal and Generals Meg Dickens and Matthew Riley from Tonic Housing. But first, let's meet two more colourful retirees. In his own words, Patrick aims to make the most of every day and every year of his retirement. He was approaching 40 with a house, a wife and two children when he came out and his marriage ended. At that point in life, he needed to think again about what retirement was going to look like for him. We started talking about how, after 37 years of teaching, he made his love of travel a central part of his retirement plans. I've always had a love of travel. Uh, I've always wanted to travel. So when the opportunity came at 60, when I retired, my ambition of going to Australia and New Zealand was fulfilled. That was number one on my travel bucket list. And I was there for six months and did the most amazing things, saw the most amazing places, made lots of new friends, many of whom I'm still in touch with. I've been back three times since. You know, so the travel thing, I've, I've traveled to many countries in Europe. I've been to Singapore, to China, to South America, North America, being more proactive in some of the groups that uh, have supported me throughout my, throughout my years, you know, so uh, including my own local LGBT forum in Berry. So would you say that being single and heading into retirement, it sort of raises different issues um, and you have to look at it in a, with a different perspective? Yeah, I was married. I know I had a, I had a, a male partner here living with me. Uh, I've not had a partner here now for over 12 years. But one of the things I had to think about was starting my life again in, in a way when, you know, when I came out as a gay man. So things like having my own place, uh, starting again from scratch, starting a mortgage. And that all impacted on my retirement potentially because there were going to be expenses there to, to meet that I wouldn't have had to cater for otherwise, you know. So yeah, but I was—I've been quite savvy with my with my money. I think I've worked out my life retirement plan quite well, so that uh, I can do the kind of things that I want to do to be able to enjoy my life. With some people, with life change comes fear, especially when you're getting older. You like that sort of security of knowing what's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, uh, there's a certain element of apprehension there. You know, you 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 wonder how things are going to pan out. Um, but as I said, I've received. Good financial advice. I mean, unfortunately, my, my late my father died about nine years ago, and my mum had already passed away. So, when Dad died, the, some money was left to me and my two my two brothers. And um, I'd rather Dad was still here, but that financial 
benefit, if you call it a benefit, was allowed me to actually pay off any money I owed on the mortgage. And by that time, of course, I was getting my teacher's pension with a lump sum, etc. Good sound financial advice, which I took. I set myself up so that I'm, I'm now comfortable in life and I can continue to do the things I want paid off for. You know, I have no real overheads. Um, so, you know, life is, life is good. People are a lot worse off than me, even though I'm single. Now, what suggestions would you make to anybody approaching retirement as a single gay person? It depends on the nature of the person. I think, first of all, you need to think about your financial situation. In fact, a good friend of mine was asking me a couple of weeks ago, I'm in a gay walking group, whether you're a gay man or any, any, any other guy, whether you're single or, or married, I think you need to get good, sound financial advice. I had a certain pot of money that I needed to use well. But the other thing, apart from that, I'm an active social guy. So if, the, if you're that kind of person, there are lots and lots of activities. We're blessed in Greater Manchester is a very, very friendly, gay-friendly LGBT city. And I've been involved in lots of LGBT organisations here, support groups, that are still, some of which I still go to. I line dance with a, with a gay group. I, I walk with a gay group, you know. They're not, they're not exclusively gay. And, but I also do theatre and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I think, I think you, you, you need to have something connected to your own interests. You know, if you like art, there's a, an art group. If you like reading, there's a, a literature group that you can go to and poetry groups, you know. So I think you need to try and think, what are my interests? How can I get involved in the stuff that's actually there? And I think what you're saying there, Patrick, is is to, to find hobbies and find a community where you can sort of immerse yourself in and find that camaraderie and that support. You need a good support network, you know, and I have that. I'm lucky to have, I have some, you know, close family who care about me deeply. I've got um, really, really good set of friends. And the groups I'm involved with, they, they keep me going, you know, that they're, they're the life and soul of my of my existence now, really, something to look forward to and gives my week a, a structure. I think structure is a great word, really good. Now, what about other plans for retirement? Because, Patrick, you're not a couch potato. Those are your words. So I know you must have something up your sleeve. What, what are you looking forward to? The main focus is going to be continuing my travels. I mean, there are, there are still so many places on my list. Last year, I was in Asia when the pandemic hit. I was in Vietnam. And uh, I had to come home with the rest of the tour group from there. So once to complete that, that's high on the list to go to complete the Vietnam, Cambodia, part of my tour, and go to Japan. But I have a number of places that I still yearn to see and long to see before um, I get <laughs> too inactive to be able to do long flights and so on, you know. Continue with the activities that I enjoy now. I love my line dancing. I've been line dancing for 25 years. You know, and I do two groups a week of that. I do five hours line dancing a week, one with a gay group, one with a group here, a local group here. And I'm becoming more and more involved in my local LGBT forum as well. Now, Patrick, like you said, you have been blessed with a teacher's pension. Your mortgage is paid off. What other things have you got in place in your retirement to make sure that you're financially secure? Obviously, I have my state pension. So that's that's a, a go-to uh, every month anyway so that's the basis and then the teacher's pension is there but when I took my teacher's pension what I had to think about was do I want to reduce teacher's pension the options were reduce teacher pension a larger lump sum which I could then invest with advice or do I want a bigger 
teacher's pension, a smaller lump sum, which again, I would have invested. But I, I felt I was comfortable enough to survive with no mortgage, to survive on a teacher's pension plus a state pension every month. You know, so I, I made the decision to take the bigger lump sum. As I said, the financial advice I received from an independent financial advisor who was recommended, and the firm had been excellent, was really, really good. And I, look, I can check my money, how it's doing. And I know that they, even, even despite the pandemic and the 2008 crash and so on, my, my money's doing, doing well enough to allow me to do the kind of things in life that I, I want to do. And hopefully, in future years, look after my, my, my grandson, my, you know, see if my kids need anything. So I think I'm, I feel financially secure to be able to get on with the kind of life that I want. What about a fallback for travel, you know, health, um, insurance, you know, have you thought about that and taken that into account? Yes, uh, it, it, it's actually a big thing in my life because I was um, I was diagnosed HIV positive about two and a half years ago. At, you know, at the age of sixty eight, I was actually when I was diagnosed, the, the the consultant actually said, "Wow, you're one of the oldest people we've we've ever had diagnosed with this." With their help, I have dealt with it, and I'm now totally virus free and have been for two years. You know, and uh, but when, when I'm planning travel, I have to think about that particularly because I take daily medication. So that's a big thing in my life, you know. So traveling for maybe the length of time I've done before, six months, may be a bit difficult now. You know, it may be that I only have to travel, say, to Australia for three months or so, which is still, <laughs> still fantastic. But on the whole, I'm a, I'm a very healthy guy, you know, and uh, I don't think I look. 71 anyway you know so once or twice the, my gp has said how old are you and i said like 70 70 he said oh, just rain back a little bit <laughs> he said you do more, you do more in your week he said than i do he said in a month you know he said, so uh never say never you know it's not, there's no yeah. such word as never i'm very happy with my life with my friendship circle with my activities i can't complain i'm at peace with it I have to say, Patrick's inspired me with his wise words and outgoing attitude. Even if you're not a very active or social person, if you're single in retirement, it sounds like sharing experiences with like-minded people is a great way to pepper the structure and create a sense of community all of us need from time to time. I also admire how Patrick has made the most of his pensions and the money from his father to make sure he has a solid foundation from which to enjoy his retirement and do those amazing adventures. He also told me about the time he went skydiving and white water rafting. Next, we're going to talk to Annie. She's been with her partner Belinda for 25 years and they live in Stoke Newington in London. Now, Annie, I understand you're a bit of a go-getter, my sort of girl. Well, I was a wild child. In the 60s. And in fact, I live in Stoke Newington in London, and as you know, and the reason why I came back here is because I squatted here in the 60s. But it was very, very, uh, very good experience. And I wanted to come back and relive some of that freedom. Well, I know you love that part of the world. And when I say you have a zest for life, it's because you are active. And I'd love you to tell me a bit about retirement life for you with your partner, your family, your community, because you really just throw yourselves into something, don't you? Yeah, well, I've always felt very strongly about people and communities and causes, I suppose. So, I mean, my, my working life was mainly in the health service. I managed various services in hospitals that often had a mixture between mental health and physical health, which, 
you know, became an interest. Did that for quite a lot of years. But I've now been in a long-term relationship with my partner, Belinda, for 25 years. And we've moved around the country, uh, ending up in London, just because we'd fancied a move and fancied going to different places. And I actually left the health service sort of in my 50s. And we fostered children for quite a lot of years. I suppose I retired from paid work when I was 60. I'm 70 now. And since then, I've been throwing myself into working around older LGBTQ plus people um, with a charity called Opening Doors and with our National Helpline Switchboard. You're right. I do throw myself into things. And I suppose that's what I love. You know, I love being around people. And I'm very fortunate to be able to choose to do that within the communities that I feel aligned to and where my life is and you know London's a very good place for that London's a very good place to be retired it's good it's good from the volunteer perspective which I do a lot of you know we have good health services here I can swim free in the local pool I have free drugs but only the the legal sort uh, well I'm very fortunate in that I have uh, several pensions that have come from various aspects of my life so in fact, I'm extremely comfortable. We don't have a mortgage anymore. Uh, and that's partly because we were left a bit of family money, both of us, just enough to, to polish the mortgage off. So, and my partner's still working. So yeah, we're, we're, we're fine. We don't, have, we don't have very ambitious needs in terms of money. You know, we have a four bedroom terrace house that's very nice. We supplement our income by letting them out with Airbnb when we can. So money isn't an issue for us, really, and that, that is a very blessed position to be in. It means I can help. I have a daughter who is also a lesbian, and she's 30, coming up 39 this year and lives in London. They've got two kids, so I'm able to help them out, which is great. So, no, money isn't a problem, but it, did, it wasn't planned, really. So this has just, just happened? Well, it's money that came to me via different means that I didn't plan. In fact, I was hopeless at planning, really. So as a younger woman, I worked for the health service. And when I got pregnant with Lucy, I cashed my pension in for the NHS to buy a washing machine, which was a completely ridiculous thing to do. So I signed out of the NHS pension scheme, which was completely crazy. I signed back in, but by that time, you know, it's a good job I haven't had to rely on my NHS pension, really. So I do have an NHS pension and I do have a fairly big private pension and I do have my state pension. You've given one piece of advice already. Don't opt out of pensions. Oh, no, don't do that. You know, I never even thought about, you know, the fact that I would get, get on and get old. And um, I need, and apart from that, the whole independence thing, you know, for women particularly, it's just massively important that we maintain our, our financial independence because you never know what's going to happen. We could say that you're, you're one of the lucky ones then. Because it doesn't always work out like that for people. Uh, it doesn't work out that, uh, that, that well at all. And I've got a big network of women friends who, like me, were involved in women and activism during the 80s and the 90s. They dedicated their time to, quite often, to working with their communities and not having a professional life. I was lucky to have a professional qualification. I could always get a job. And didn't, they didn't contribute to pen. They didn't get, you know, occupational pensions through their jobs. And have ended up, uh, you know, in their retirement in not good financial situation, you know, not good. Um, often at the behest of private landlords and, you know, on benefits. 
and yet, you know, women who've done masses with their lives. So, yeah, that is a good message. It's a good message for all women, you know, to, to think about that. And if you can plan for it, because you need money as you get older. Living in Stoke Newington, I know we jested about you squatting there before and having this great lifestyle, but you, you have this wonderful community there, don't you? And it's important for anybody thinking about retiring to have that sort of that that backup, that framework, you know, be able to walk out the door and say, hey, and know that there's people there, isn't it? Well, it's massively important. And, you know, that's through the work that Opening Doors London does. That's entirely their agenda, which is around isolation and loneliness. What we do is get people together in groups. You know, we run we've been running something like 50 social groups a month in London to get people together because that's what we need to do. We need to create social networks for ourselves. And sometimes those have been fractured as we've, you know, as we've, as, as our lives progress and, and we get on, relationships break up. We might find that we've been in very sort of, you know, um, relationships where we've only needed each other or, you know, we've not kept those connections with other people. Interestingly enough, I think women are better than this than men. Women are better at maintaining their networks and working on their net, you know, working on it, developing it. We have many more men as members of Opening Doors. We've got 2,300 members than, than we have women. Um, they've found themselves in much more difficult situations, partly because, you know, they have such a tough time with uh, HIV and AIDS particularly. Well, let's go into more depth about some of the particular issues that you see for the LGBTQ community who are reaching retirement age and have to navigate their way through it. What have you noticed and what are the particularly strong messages we can talk about now? Well, we've mentioned water. That's, that's the loneliness and isolation thing. I think the other thing is the, uh, the interface that everybody has to, you know, navigate as we get older. And that, that's health and social care, you know having to uh, be open about your life with people that you don't know who might come into your house to give you personal care or, you know, when you go into hospital to be assumed that you're heterosexual um, and for people to treat you as if you are and to talk about, you know, to ask me if, you know, where my husband is or, you know, anything like that. It's really, really tricky. And in fact, for our communities to, to face those difficult situations quite often, you know, it means going back in the closet, which is not a good thing. So I think, you know, to have someone to advocate with you, for you, to have someone who's a friend or even, even you know, someone who's, who's part of a charity um, to help you along with those difficult things is, is, is pretty crucial. As a charity, we've advocated for, you know, a woman who was prayed over by a carer who came into her house, uh, someone who had a carer who came in who wouldn't touch her in the shower because they knew she was a lesbian. You know, I mean, there's, there's lots and lots of these situations. You know, it's not it's not something that's tackled in terms of training for health and social care staff. That that's a massive issue. I think the advocacy issue is something that we will we will work on as a as a charity because we've certainly learned through COVID that people have been left very stranded, having to deal with things, whether it's housing or benefits or health issues, or going into hospital and having nobody actually to look look for them. I think it's advocates a big thing. That's the other issue. Where do you go to find someone who really understands your world, you know? Who understands the, your background or the history of your communities? It's very much easier to go and sit and talk to someone. You don't have to go and explain yourself when you walk in the door, you know? You can build up a trust, trusting relationship much quicker. So mental health is a big one. So let's talk about you and how you have set yourself goals. Yes, well, that's the same. Well, I mean, I, I retired, as I say, about 10 years ago now. been very involved in volunteering. 
have a very big circle of women friends. And the swimming things, well, I, I do, I've got, two, I've got two replacement hips. So my health hasn't been, you know, ex exactly tip top, but I try not to let it get in the way. In fact, Monday is probably not a great day for me to do this with you because I've just done an hour's yoga. And I tell you, it's, it, it's a mixture of thinking, oh, well, you know, this is good to be doing and it's good for me, but it's really depressing because you, 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 know, you, you come across all these bits of your body that don't work as well as they used to do. You're joking. You've done yoga already and you've got two replaced hips. After this, I'm going to get on it. <laughs> you do, you just get on it. But the swimming thing is quite fun because last year, when, before COVID struck, I had planned to go and swim in all the different Lidos in London. Turns out I think it's 13 or 14 of them, all the outdoor ones, because I love to swim outdoors. In fact, a friend bought me a T-shirt with all the names of the Lidos on the back with a little square that you could tick when you'd done it. So I've now got a plan to do that. Five of them I can cycle to in North London and the rest I've got to go in public transport. Annie's looking forward to staying active with her long-haired Dashens, as well as meeting up with friends again after the pandemic restrictions. She says it's really important to keep up with your network of friends in later life. Sound advice there from two people who are very active and outgoing in their communities. So what about you? What's your vision of later life? For some of the questions you might want to explore and for some sound tips on organising your finances, I'm joined by Meg Dickens from Legal and General and Matthew Riley from Tonic Housing. So I'm going to start with you, Matthew, because our guests are both very socially active people. But as you well know, not everyone is like that. And we heard from Annie how loneliness and isolation are issues that older LGBTQ people can face. How is Tonic Housing addressing this for different people? So Tonic was originally founded in 2014 um, to address issues of uh, loneliness and isolation of older LGBT people um, and the need for specific housing and support provision. So since then, we've been working really hard to make LGBT plus affirming retirement communities a reality. And in March, you may have seen our announcement. We announced our first scheme will be opening in the coming months. We are a community-led organisation as well. So rather than just being LGBT plus friendly, we want our services to be actively affirming of the lives, histories, needs and desires of LGBT plus people. Yeah. Well, Meg, you're listening to what Matthew's saying there. And how did Legal in General spot a problem with the way we still hear retirement experiences talked about, especially from this group in society? We've spent the last few years constantly talking to people, either in formal research or we, we run kind of informal tea and chat sessions about their hopes and dreams and aspirations of the future so you know we're constantly keeping a, a watch on on what's happening with our audience and we've learned a huge number of things along the way but one of the things that's really hit home is that retirement is just not one homogenous kind of bunch of people you know the reality is very different for different people even the word retirement now means very different things to different people uh, and traditionally and certainly from a marketing perspective the way in which retirement's being talked about and certainly the way in which it's been depicted is really stereotypical. So, you know, the heterosexual couple in white linen walking along the beach, we've seen that so many times, uh, or riding bikes or, you know, drinking coffee at their laptop. There are some real stereotypes that we've set up about people's socio-demographic profile or, you know, their living conditions or their level of financial support or their sexuality, you know, whatever those things are. You know, we want to make sure that everything we do is bringing to life what real retirement really, really looks like and that people have got individual needs and, and therefore they want things to, to relate to. Yeah. Well, Matthew, 
I can see how the charity sector is vital and plays a key role in supporting the LGBTQ community, especially what with what we're talking about. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, and I think often we do see public services um, that are left underfunded or kind of not able to cater to a lot of our community as well, um, which is why organisations like Open Doors London, Tonic, LGBT Switchboard, for example, a lot of those are lifelines, especially to older LGBT people. With ODL, Open Doors London specifically, um, we do work quite closely with them. And one of the things we've done with them with our first scheme is they've come in and uh, trained all of the care staff and all of the team on site. Um, and that's kind of just one of the ways that the charity sector is able to input into the housing sector specifically to ensure that it is inclusive and it is LGBT aware and fits into the LGBT affirmative bracket that we're trying to broaden <laughs> and make make much bigger um, and make the norm. Because, yeah, it's we've kind of way past the point of LGBT friendly at this point. No one wants to be just like friendly or tolerated. It needs to way, way, way be past that. Well, we heard how Patrick had to rebuild his finances when his lifestyle changed in his late 30s. Fortunately, I mean, he had his two pensions and also an inheritance from his father, which really helped. But what should people consider to help them be prepared financially for retirement, Meg? I think Patrick and Annie had had some real level of security in retirement from the inheritance that they received, but also they, they had pension savings. But I think their stories highlighted a few key points about retirement planning that are worth considering. Firstly, I think it's important not to underestimate the importance of starting to save for the future as early as possible. And I know that that's really difficult. You know, certainly when you're in your 20s and 30s, you know, people have a huge amount of expense early in life from saving for a deposit on a, on a house to taking care of family or, or mortgages. But putting small amounts away into a pension over the long term can make a massive difference because of the effects of compound interest over time. It really does lead to a, a much, much bigger pot. Secondly, I think, again, there's, there's stories highlighted that you never know what life's going to throw at you. And, and it's really important to have a level of financial independence. The last 18 months, it's been it's been clear to see that COVID's impacted a huge number of people. Um, and there are some populations that have been more heavily impacted than others. So the FCA have recently re launched some research that said that 60 percent of retirements between March and October last year were as a direct result of COVID. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people were on furlough and, and found it really, really difficult. And even our own research highlighted that a lot of people have had to bring forward their retirement plans. So you never quite know what, what life's going to throw at you. Now, some people will be in committed relationships and marriages as they approach retirement. Others, like Patrick, will be single. So what additional costs should you plan for doing retirement solo? Because it is a different prospect, isn't it? Totally. Living on your own, as, as you know, many people will realise, is more expensive than living with another person or, or you know, people. That's because you're covering all the costs in your income and savings from your rent and your mortgage payments to utility bills, insurance, as, as well as food and shopping costs. It can also be more expensive to travel. So, you know, Patrick had uh, obviously a whale of a time in, in terms of travelling, but often you can end up paying single person supplements. You know, the, the costs are more expensive. You also, and, and one of the things that, that clearly is important is as people get older, they may need additional help and support if they haven't got a partner or family members to care for them. So th these are the particular issues that you won't necessarily have thought through and planned for, but could seriously affect the amount of income, disposable income, certainly in, in later life. 
I think as all of these things kind of highlight, you, you never know what's around the corner. And therefore, it's really important for people to try and ascertain some level of financial security so that you can afford to eat, even meet the basics. I mean, clearly, if you want to travel, then that requires a certain level of financial freedom that you, you need to budget and plan for. Um, so, it, again, it's important to think about the kind of retirement you want. Um, you know, to try and think, you know, do you want to have the retirement where you know, you're able to go to the cinema once a month or do you want to go once a week? You know, do you want to shop at Marks and Spencer's or are you quite happy shopping at, you know, Tesco? It, it's trying to really think about what kind of future you want for your money and then and planning from that basis. Matthew, Annie mentioned also Opening Doors London, which is a charity LNG support. Um, and they're working to tackle the loneliness and isolation issue. But she also mentioned how discrimination and past experiences can leave a troubling legacy for people later in life. What support is on offer to help LGBT people with their mental health later on? Unfortunately, there isn't enough support out there for LGBT people generally, but especially later in life and especially when it comes to mental health. As Annie mentioned, like when people have lived with decades of discrimination, um, especially in the age group that we're talking about. You've got people who have had their homosexuality criminalised by the legal system or have gone through conversion therapy. All of these things don't just disappear when the law changes. These are embedded in, in people's memories and that sort of trauma doesn't disappear overnight. It takes a lot of untangling and unlearning to feel kind of at peace or even vaguely happy with yourself and in the society you're in. It requires a much bigger shift, not just from the mental health, side of things but from all of the different industries that we're talking about at the minute so housing finance healthcare all of those things kind of need to be much more joined up in their way of thinking the positive side of it is is that there are a range of organizations um working really hard to make these shifts um right now and we are beginning to see positive change you know in the immediate we've already mentioned kind of open and doors london but you've got lgbt switchboard you've got age uk all of these organizations are really up in their game when it comes to LGBT inclusivity and also mental health as well. So I think combining those things, they're the immediate support. And then the more longer term comes from the much kind of bigger policy change that's needed, which it's happening, but I think it just needs to happen faster. Do you think a lot has been learned through this period for the LGBT community and the support services available? Yeah, I think we've, we've obviously learned connectivity is a huge issue especially when you're engaging with people that have not been brought up on their smartphones. For LGBT people especially, when it comes to like-minded thinking, safe spaces, inclusive support, all of that is like a vital resource. We know community is really, really important as well. So when you take away the physical interaction, someone can't engage digitally, you're further isolating someone that was already kind of at the edges and the fringes of that community anyway. I think with the lockdowns, we were thrown so quickly into a digital way of communicating that many people felt yeah more isolated if they weren't digitally confident so i think it's been a, a time for learning within organizations and different sectors to make sure that we're all being as inclusive as we can be to make sure that we're reaching everyone that needs to access our services and that means going the extra mile sometimes whether it's kind of you know handwriting letters or making sure you're given a, a phone number because some people don't want a video call or just all of those little considerations that really make the human element of it a big a big difference some incredibly important conversations and there's clearly a lot more to be said on the challenges faced by over one million people in the UK. 
It's time we had these conversations and supported everyone to have the dream retirement they deserve. Communities, charities, social services, businesses and organisations all have a part to play in making sure we challenge prejudice, provide support and community to give everyone a happy and secure retirement. You can find out more about planning as well as links to those websites we've mentioned at legalandgeneral.com forward slash retirement. Next time, we're hearing from people who've made the leap with a dream location later in life. Whether you're considering sunnier climes, life on the water or something else, we've got brilliant stories and smart tips to help you do it in style. We looked at what finances we had. We thought, OK, once we've sold the house and how much a boat would cost, how much it would cost to run the boat. And we said, yeah, that'll work. I'm Angelica Bell. Follow Rewirement on your favourite platform and I'll catch you next time.